0: All right, we are going to open up to First Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to finish the second chapter this morning of that letter. And so the kids, when you've been in your classes this month, you've been following along with us. So we're, we're actually tracking on the same story that you've been in. And we're looking at the same verses that you've been hearing about. And We're going to finish up chapter 2 this morning. We're just looking at four verses today. So this will be short and sweet. We're going to read four verses And I'm going to talk for about an hour on those four—I'm just kidding. I'll talk a little bit on those four verses, and you'll talk with me. It's going to be great, okay? And so go ahead and turn there. First Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 17 through 20, and then I will pray. And so this is what the letter continues to say. Paul writes, As for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time— In person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy." This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, our ears to receive your word this morning. Lord, that we would be transformed by you as we hear it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I was trying to think about this week some weird things that I've bragged about or boasted about in my life. And there's been, unfortunately, a lot of them. But one of the strangest things I thought of was back when I was on a school bus talking with my friends in the third grade and we got into this thing about like, my dad's taller than your dad and I couldn't win that one. So I was like, my dad's stronger than your dad. And then we were, and eventually the argument became, my dad can eat more than your dad, (laughs) which I'm trying to allow my kids to be able to say that truthfully now too. But it's a weird brag, right? Like what are some of the, I wanna hear like, especially from kids in here with us right now, what are some weird things that you've heard people brag about or maybe you've bragged about before? Sam. <laughs> I have more Legos than you do, yeah. Yeah, who's got the most stuff, right? Can run faster than you, yeah. It's another one. Like who can make a better Ninja Star? Oh, you fight over the Ninja Star. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that happens too. For sure, that's a cool Lego Ninja Star, by the way. All right, Lillian, what's another thing you hear people brag about? Yeah, a little brag about that. That's awesome. So, you know, what's, what's interesting is most of those answers were like what other people brag about. No one, no one said like, oh, I often have bragged about this, right? <laughs> but those, those are all brags. Those are usually when you think about what's the difference between a brag and a boast. Sounds like it means the same thing, but it's actually when you're bragging, it's probably over the top exaggerating, and it's usually a negative thing. That you're exaggerating about something to shove it in someone else's face, right? My dad can eat more than your dad, so take that. But when it's a boast, actually a boast is usually a more positive thing. It's a more helpful thing. And it's, what it is, is it's recognizing the value of something that's been given into your life. And so I want you guys to know, especially on this fourth Sunday when we have all the kids in here with us, I often boast about Missio. Lots of things about Missio, but you know one of the main things I boast about Missio about? How many kids we have. For real. And, and sometimes it can turn, I want, you, I want to let you kids in on a secret, sometimes between us grown-ups, it can turn into this joke about like, oh man, what do you do with all those kids? Like, oh, like, how, how do you like control that, right? It's chaos, right? But the reality is, I am often and I know Anthony is as well, as as the pastor said, we are often boasting about how many kids we have here because it's a gift from God that we have this type of family. It's not anything we organize for ourselves. It's not anything that we sought out to get. There just happens to be a lot of kids here. And I like to boast in that because my job as a pastor is to equip the saints, those who follow Jesus, to equip them for the work of ministry. That means to get people ready to join in the work God has called them into, right? And when you look at uh, this, this congregation, this church, and that 60%, over half of us are 12 and under, that's a big task with our kids. And so parents, you have the task of raising up your kids and discipling them to follow after Jesus. But as a church, the, the leaders here in this church have this task of coming alongside you in that work And helping to equip you for that and to raising up these kids, this next generation, to follow Jesus, all right? So that the Missio 2.0 in the future, when you guys are the adults and you have a bunch of kids too, it's gonna be an even bigger church. But it's gonna be more people serving the city, following after Jesus. Did I hear an uh oh on that? (laughs) More kids, uh oh. But that's a boast. And in a similar way, In this letter, what we heard is is Paul, who's writing it, is boasting about his family. So if you remember last week, what we read in the letter is that he said that he called them like his family. He keeps calling them brothers and sisters, but he also said, we loved you like a mother nurtures her own children, or like a father raises up his own kids. And so he very much sees them as family, and he's boasting about them at the end of this chapter. But before we can get to that part and why that boast is so important and where it's actually coming from, we have to first see what we read before that because there's there's actually an opposition. There's a problem that's going on that might keep him from boasting in them. So if you remember the story of how Paul and Silas and Timothy even got there, is they went and they were traveling. First, they got kicked out of this city called Philippi for telling people about Jesus. They get kicked out. They got treated terribly. And I would have been like, all right, I'm done. I'm going to go home now and watch some Netflix because that was hard, right? But no, they go, all right, let's go to the next town. Let's bring the good news of Jesus there too because they also need it. And guess what? It's even worse there. They're treated even worse and they're kicked out of town there too. But they hear good news later when they send Timothy to go check on those people who did believe the good news. They hear that there's a church there. There's people who are following after Jesus. Much like we just heard from Brody Brody and Elizabeth in Colorado City who have planted the first Christ-following church in Colorado City. That's what happened in Thessalonica. The first church ever was planted there of people following Jesus and turning away from worshiping all these other false gods. And so they're wondering what happened to them. And they get this good report back. Hey, they're, they're still loving and following Jesus. They maybe need to be taught a few things about what that means, but their heart is following after Jesus. So that's good news. But Paul and Silas were kicked out. They're sent away. They can't even go back there. And he says in this letter, we tried to come back to you time and time again after we were ripped apart. Now, I want to read that part again because it's really significant. He says, after we were forced to leave you is the way that I read it this morning. But the original word for that in the Greek and the way that Paul wrote this letter actually says, after we were orphaned from you. Do you guys know what that word means? What's that? Taken away. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is an orphan? It's a, a child Taken out of their home, right? Yes, separated from their parents, separated from their home, maybe even from their siblings. We've seen a lot of that in our world, right? And many of us have entered into that world as we've fostered and adopted kids, and many of us enter into that world as we go and we serve with our missional communities. Like uh, with the Cultivate MC, working with a lot of kids who are about to age out of the foster care system. And we see firsthand the brokenness and the struggle that they deal with because they are not home with their mom and dad. It's painful and it's broken and it's not the way it was meant to be. And he's saying in a similar way, we were family and we were ripped away from you. We've been orphaned from you. Like I want us to hear the pain in that. And the backstory behind that is not only were they kicked out, but they were staying at this guy Jason's house while they were there in Thessalonica. And not only were they run out of town, but the people who ran them out went and got this guy Jason, and they started treating him terribly. And they warned him not to let them come back. And so you could imagine, like, part of the reason they can't come back into the city is they're not just afraid for themselves, because they're often entering into situations that are scary for themselves trusting that God will provide for them. But it's because they're probably more concerned with what's gonna to happen to their friends there, what's gonna to happen to Jason and other people who invite them into their home. And so it would be really easy in this situation to look at that and go, man, those terrible people in Thessalonica who separated us from our family, who separated us from the people we love, who are treating our brothers and sisters terribly, and to look at them and call them the enemy, right? Right? But what does he say in this letter? He says in verse 18, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but who hindered us? But Satan hindered us. And and the original word there is the Satan, the Satan. It means the accuser, right? We've just kind of given that to this character as a name, but it's actually, it's the, the one who stands and accuses us humanity before God, to say that we are not worthy and we cannot be united with him. That's the one, or another word, another word that's used often in scripture is the opposer. There's another way of translating that. The one who opposes us and opposes God and stands between us to keep us separate. Paul's saying that's the one who has orphaned us from you guys Who has separated us from family? He's not blaming the people in Thessalonia. He's not blaming the leaders there that kicked them out. Isn't that interesting? Now, I want us to kind of get a picture of this. And so I need though somebody who, one of the kids maybe, who wants a dollar. All right. Um, Who doesn't want a dollar? I only have one, you guys. In fact, I had to take it out of the offering box earlier. I'm just kidding. I... Oh, that's a good idea, but that would take too long. So I'm just going to pick one. No favorites, no favorites, no favorites. Um, let's go with... No, we're going to pick our guest, yeah. Is it Lucas? All right, come on up, Lucas. Guys, give Lucas a hand as he comes up here. What's up, dude? All right. Come on up. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to let you, Lucas, have this dollar. All you have to do is grab it, okay? But hold on. He already started to put his arm up. (laughs) Not yet, though. Hold on. I need something. I need some help. I'm going to just stick this here. All right. All you got to do is grab it off of this ruler, okay? Lucas, all you got to do is grab that dollar off of this ruler. That's all you got to do is grab it. I'm sorry, you guys are guessing I'm torturing your son. Here you go. There you go, Lucas, that's your dollar. All right, hold up, before you go anywhere, Lucas, was that hard? Why? Why? Why was it hard to grab that dollar? Because of this ruler, huh? It's the stinking ruler's fault, isn't it? I wish this ruler wasn't here. You would have been able to grab that, huh? Why was it really hard? Was it the ruler's fault? Cause, yeah, because I'm a jerk, I heard someone say. I was being a jerk. And I'm sorry for that, Lucas. But I hope you enjoyed that dollar. Okay, thank you so much. Give him a hand again, you guys. I was a little bit of a jerk. Yeah, it wasn't the ruler's fault, right? I was lifting it up every time he went to go grab it. It was my fault. I was the one who was standing in the way of Lucas getting that dollar. In the same way, what Paul's saying is, it's not, it's not the Jewish leaders in Thessalonica who kicked us out and kept us from you. No, they're just being used as a tool. That there's another force at work here that is actually our opposition. Satan hindered us from coming to you. And so I, I know we don't talk a lot about, um, actually in, in our culture, I think there's probably two different ways this goes down. Usually what happens is there's a group of people in the church who probably talk about Satan way too much and give him way too much credit for things because sometimes it's like, no, I was, I was just being a jerk, right? <laughs> but sometimes there's another group of people who don't actually talk enough about the reality of the spiritual forces at work in our world. And so I want to give us kind of an image of that. And I have a little drawing we're going to try out. I'm trying a new app this time because you guys know my history with trying to draw up here on the screen. Uh, And so we'll see if this app works. Hold on. It's showing. Yeah, thanks. Bethany, you had the microphone earlier. It's my turn right now. Just kidding. All right. So when we think about the world and we think about all the brokenness in it, what can we usually attribute that to? What's the problem with the world? Sin. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's sin, right? Now, when you think about sin, what do you usually think about? Lying. Bad death. Murder. Go with Sam. Satan. Satan. <laughs> yes, you said that too, Liam. Jonas. Huh? Evil. Okay, good. Yeah. Adultery. Yeah. Maya. Death. Yeah, yeah. Sin produces death. And then what I heard you guys talk about was a lot of things that we do that are an outcome of our sin, right? So remember we talked about Before, sin is not just the the bad stuff we do, but even the reason we do it. So even if I'm doing a good thing, sometimes my heart is doing it for the wrong reasons. And so our sin can be attributed to ourselves. It's it's things that we do and choices that we make and desires that we have, thoughts that we have, our reasoning for living the way that we live in a way that is against God right? That's our sin. Our sin is a rebellion against God. And so that, that calls for one third of sin and brokenness in the world ourselves. We got to take ownership of that. That's another thing is a lot of times in the church, we don't talk about that enough. We got to take ownership that we have rebelled against God, we have turned away from him, and we have brought brokenness into this world. And if we're honest with ourselves, each of us does that a little bit each day that we turn to our own desires instead of what God desires for us, right? But but when you see somebody who's sinning against you, your first thought is like, man, that stinking sinner, right? Like that's, when when I'm at home, my kids are fighting. I'm like, those little sinners. And I want to see them as the problem, but there's actually more at work here, right? There's two other spheres there we got to look at. So Sam and Liam... Both also said Satan. If you think about in the garden, it was the man and the woman who ate from the tree that God told them not to eat from, yes, but who was kind of behind the scenes, kind of pulling the strings like a puppeteer? Who was the one whispering in their ear and trying to deceive them? Satan. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, the serpent, the Satan, the deceiver, the accuser. The opposer, right? Now, we're still only at two of those three spheres. If we really want to talk about the totality of sin, there's more at play still in this world. Because what has happened is in the garden, Satan goes and he deceives the humans, and they, they listen to him instead of listening to God's word, and they rebel against God. But what that does is that starts to cause the very fabric of of society to break down. They now have shame and fear and guilt when they even look at each other. There's a brokenness between them and the land that they were called to care for. God says, out of thorns and thistles, you will tend to this garden now. And there's a brokenness between them and their relationship with God. And what this does is it creates a whole structure and systems in our world that are broken. So what we see is, Sin is within our own hearts, ourselves. Sin is a force of Satan and the evil spiritual powers that are opposed to God. And sin is at work in this world because of the way the structures of our governments, the structures of our organizations and our businesses, the structures of our society, the way we interact with one another on a big scale level, it's all broken. And this is why and Paul puts this another way I have a scripture up there. If we can go to that slide. this is why, in Ephesians 6:12, he writes this: "We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil." In the heavenly places. So he's talking about two different things there. He's talking about Satan and his his crew, right? That's the spiritual forces of evil. And then he's also talking about rulers and authorities in this world. The governments and systems of this world are broken too. You know what he says you don't fight against? If we can go back to the drawing. If it loads. What we don't fight against, he says, the only time in scripture that it talks about actually fighting the flesh with sin is yourself, not other people. When, when the word of God talks about fighting against sin in the flesh, fighting against sin in humanity, it is never describing fight against the sin of your neighbor or fight against the sin of your spouse, or fight against the sin of your kids, or fight, it's always battle your own sin. When we think about sin in actions and in motivations and in the problem of humanity, we have to start with ourself, right? We're the problem. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. My battle is not against Steve when he wrongs me. My battle is against something much deeper. First and foremost, why do I feel so wronged right now? What's going on in my heart that feels like I deserve to be treated better than this? Right? That's where I should start. But then I could look at, all right, what are some other forces at work right now that cause this disunity and dissension between us? Like, what else is at play going on? And look to that. There's a... You can go off that slide. Thank you so much for doing that. I didn't ask him if I could share this, so hopefully I can. But Anthony was sharing with us about one of his students that he had been praying for who was dealing with this, this situation and wondering what to do. And so she, she's a high school student who got pregnant and had decided to give the baby up, not for adoption, but to go for abortion. And Anthony, as well as other teachers and other people, were able to enter into conversation and relationship with this young girl and love her and speak words of truth and encouragement because she was not their enemy. And I think that's a big issue, right? That's a hard issue. And it's an issue that divides a lot of our nation, if we're honest. And we quickly will go, Man, you're willing to do that? You're a murderer and now you're my enemy, right? And here's the route, it is murder, it is sin. But what they were able to do is see through, there's a whole lot more at work here. There's a whole system that is encouraging this girl to enter into that and to tell her it's okay and it's gonna solve all your problems and to make it easy for her. And there's a whole system that is telling her, you know what? Not only is this going to be easier for you, it's going to be easier for us too, right? Think about the other people who are going to have to help you raise this child. And, And there's probably, most likely, some type of spiritual forces at play as well that have brought that. I mean, that is a huge problem in our nation. And it doesn't just happen from a bunch of individuals with their own selfish sin. That's part of it. We have to take responsibility again. But I think there is a, a spiritual force at work behind that. That little whispering in the garden in the ear of, go ahead and eat from this. You'll be like God and you won't need him. Those whispers also continue today and they take different shape and different form, but they're, they're shaping the systems and the structures of our world. And so in, in an effort to meet that person where she's at and to love her and care for her, they had to not see her as the enemy but as a victim of that, right? To be able to still love her even if she makes the wrong choice and go, you know what? The gospel, the good news of Jesus is still even available for you even after you've done that. I have to believe that because it's still available for me after all the stuff that I've done and myself sin And so Paul's writing this to remind them, you have a bigger enemy. It is not the people around you. There's spiritual forces that kept us from you. You have to remember, church in Thessalonica, this is like what I'm hearing behind his words. You have to remember the good news that you heard is available to your neighbors too, the people who are oppressing you, right? And I want us to hear that. The good news that we've heard, that we've received, that Jesus has loved and forgiven us is available to the people around us too that we think are our enemies, the people who are voting on the completely other side of the political spectrum from you, who you think there's no way a follower of Jesus could vote that way, right? Is the good news of Jesus available for them too? The people in your workplace, your, your boss or your, or your employee or your coworker, like, who's just driving you nuts, they're not your enemy either. The good news of Jesus is available for them too. The people in your class, students, when you're at school, who are treating you terribly or treating your friends terribly or just keep acting up and it's like they're causing all kinds of disruptions in the classroom and you go, man, I wish I just didn't have to deal with them. Those people are not your enemy. They're human beings made in the image of God, the same God who made you in his image. And they're lost and they need to hear good news. That Jesus has made a way to bring them back into relationship with him, even against all the opposition and, and the struggle. And so, the original language, how Paul writes this, is not just Satan hindered us, like I was raising that ruler, right, in that little display, or like that he was like holding them back or something. He actually uses a military language, military wording of like setting up a blockade in the way so that your forces, your army could not get through. Like, this is a battle. It's a war that we enter into. Following after Jesus means there's opposition who's going to try to put a barricade in the way. And what do we do about that? I think we get a little bit of a clue in the way that he ends this chapter. It's Satan who hindered us, but he says this still. He goes, Who is our hope, our joy, or crown, in verse 19 of boasting? and the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. And at first, like when I was reading this, I was like, that's a really weird way to end that, right? He says, Satan's been hindering us and keeping us from coming to you, but you know what our joy is. You know what our hope is. And the the weird part to me was, you know what our crown is. And some translations do this differently. They call it the crown of glory. And I think. Some language like that is where some of the church maybe through years have gotten these ideas of like, I'm just storing up crowns in heaven, right, with my good deeds. I'm storing up treasures and, and crowns. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have these crowns. Like, No, there's one king who wears a crown, who's coming back to earth and uniting heaven and earth together. One king, that's Jesus. The crown, I love the way this, in this translation says it, the crown of boasting So I I was trying to find, I couldn't find them, I didn't look hard enough, but I was trying to find some of my medals I got from wrestling in high school. And I was gonna bring them to you and boast about them, right? Uh, But then, here's the reality, what I was gonna say is, you know how much money I can get for these medals today? Nothing. They are not worth a thing. Nobody wants them, right? (laughs) So it, it was like, Winning those medals didn't mean that I had earned anything of monetary possession, anything of value in that way, but it was like a boast. Like, hey, you can show you worked hard, and you pushed through, and you made it. And so this language actually, crowned a boasting, another, a better translation of that is a, a, a wreath of garland. And the reason why is because in the Greco-Roman culture, When you were running a race or you're competing in anything, what you would get at the end if you had accomplished your goal at the end is you would get this wreath of garland around your head. Have you guys ever seen maybe pictures of that and like kind of Greco-Roman-Greek type of paintings and things like that? Yeah, there might be some olive branches on it or some type of like just flowery stuff, right? It's not going to last super long. Like, my kids will sit on it the second I take it home and it's gone and throw it away. But it's not worth anything either. It's not worth anything today. It wouldn't have been worth any money back then in that culture either. What it was was the symbol of saying, you pushed through. You trained hard. You worked at this and you made it. But it wasn't a treasure. And I want to remind us of that. Because when I first read that, I was like, man, that's really weird. Like, why would the Thessalonians be his crown? Like, Jesus is our treasure, and Jesus is our joy, our ultimate joy, right? And so that's not, he's not saying this in a competitive statement against that. What he's saying is, you can boast in Jesus and all the things that Jesus does through and for you. I can boast about you guys. I had nothing to do with you being here, though. I can boast about you because Jesus is building this church, right? And I could boast because I go, man, God is so good to me that he's allowing me to be a part of this family. That's boasting in Jesus while boasting in what Jesus has done through you guys. And so what he's saying is, I can boast in you as my crown of boasting, my crown of joy, Because Jesus, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of the Satan coming against us, in the midst of all these problems and persecution, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of all of that, Jesus is still building a church there. And he allowed me to be a small part of that by going there and spending a few weeks with you in Thessalonia and sharing good news. So he goes, when Jesus comes back, our true king who wears the crown, I get to stand before him because of what he's done for me, but he and I get to also both celebrate together this partnership work that we did together of establishing a church here. How incredible is that, right? That's so, so good. And I think really, though, what he's doing when he's writing that is he's also pointing us to a deeper truth. He's pointing us to the fact that this is exactly what Jesus says about All of us. In Hebrews, I think we have that up here on the screen too. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, again, this is the picture of striving, right? Getting that crown of boasting at the end because you're, you're working hard. Set aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is not what gets you saved, by the way, you guys. I want to make that very clear. Kids in here listening, adults, I don't care if you've heard this a million times, that race, that running with endurance, that working hard is not what brings us to salvation with Jesus. Jesus has already done that for us. And because of that, we now enter into that work, all right? But he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you hear that? Jesus did the same thing. He entered into that work and it was for a joy set before him. It was that crown of boasting set before him that he goes and he endures the cross. And when I want to ask us, what was that joy set before him? you guys hear that? Adrian said his church, God's people, creation, all of it being restored, all right? It wasn't, it's not like Jesus had set before him, oh man, if I just endure this cross, I get to go sit on a throne in heaven with my father again. He already had that. He left that to come down here. So that wasn't it. There was something else that he came down here to get. And it's not just you as an individual either. He came down to get his church, to gather his people, his kingdom together. He came down to restore all of creation, the animals and the trees and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. He came down to restore the very earth itself into its proper working structure, the way God created it to be in the first place. His crown of glory, his joy that allowed him to endure the pain of the cross, the humiliation, the suffering, the beating and the whipping and the scorning and the mocking and the death the joy set before him was uniting us together with him again in fullness the way it was meant to be. And so Jesus, do you know that the same way Paul writes that, like awesome Paul says that about the Thessalonians, you're my crown of boasting, cool, right, right? Great, you heard me say that about you guys, I love boasting about Missy, great, who cares really? At the end of the day, it's a wreath garland you can toss away. But listen to this. Jesus says of you, you are his joy, his crown of boasting, restoring you into his kingdom, restoring all things the way they were meant to be. He is willing to run the race and to go to the grave for that. And so that's the picture I think that Paul's setting up in that letter. Because Jesus was willing to do this for me and for you and for all humanity, he goes, now I can also enter into that work with his help, with the power of his spirit strengthening me in order to do that for you. And so Missio, as we go out in this world, I want us to remember a couple things. We don't just go Out there into a comfy lifestyle and get to tell people good news, and everyone's gonna be like, awesome, and we're friends, right? No, there's a struggle. There is an opposition. And I want us to remember that opposition is spiritual forces, it's something deep and dark at work here. I bet if you were to sit down with the Olsons, they could tell you about some of that happening in Colorado City, right? We had a friend who just recently took a a trip to New Mexico because he's gonna be doing work there on the reservation soon. And the second he pulled in, like across the border, his car breaks down. Then he gets another car and that one breaks down. It was like, that's not just cars, man. That's, That's opposition. I want us to remember that's at play. And I want us to remember too, the sin of your own self is at play. And I want us to remember too, we're also in a broken world. There's a whole lot against us. But you know who's for us? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a verse in scripture that says, if God is for us, who can stand against us, right? Oh, they'll try. Fly is trying to stand against me right now. (laughs) But they won't stand. And that's important to remember as we go out into the world, as we go out in the world, remember you have good news. You have the strength of Jesus with you if you are in Christ, his spirit empowering you, and you will be able to stand against all the opposition that comes your way. You will have to do battle with your own flesh, but don't see other people as your enemy. Invite them into this story with you because the good news is for them just as much as it's for you and I. Amen? Let's pray.